This podcast is produced in association with our Amplified Podcast Network. We hope you enjoy. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between. Welcome to the eighth episode of A Theater Kid's Guide to the Galaxy. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And if you're coming back, welcome back. We're so incredibly excited to be here with you today. I am your host, Luke Stevens, and today we'll be talking about the classic musical theater favorite, Les Mis. Our synopsis this week is brought to you by Broadway.com. The musical begins in 1815 as Jean Valjean, a man condemned to 19 years of hard labor for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his family, finds only hatred and suspicion when he is released on parole, meeting one man who believes in him. Valjean breaks his parole to begin a new life. The story truly begins as Jean Valjean crosses the landscape of an early 19th century France, always pursued by the righteous police inspector Javert. From his early adoption and love of the orphan Cosette to the darkly funny plots of the thieving Thenardiers, from the soaring revolutionary fire of the student rebels who fight on the barricades in the streets of Paris to the final confrontation between Jean Valjean and Javert, the story of Les Mis is one of love, courage, and redemption. And now it is my absolute honor to introduce our cast and crew, starting with Parker Mott. Parker. Hi, I'm Parker, and my favorite weird food combination is a tomato slice with some lemon pepper on it. Next, we have Abby Camp. Abby. Hi, I'm Abby Camp, and my favorite weird food combination is French dressing on tacos. Then we have Chloe Fortune. Chloe. Hi, I'm Chloe, and my favorite weird food combination is graham crackers with icing and raspberries. Then we have Ethan Talbot. Ethan. Hello. Uh, I know when I was younger, I used to put uh, goldfish in my PB&J sandwiches. Then we have Aaron Mott. Aaron. Hi, my name's Aaron. And my favorite weird food combination is probably Takis with peach ice cream. This week, we also have Natalia Wilson. And behind the scenes, we have Tim Little. Now let's pass it over to Chloe for the rating system. Here at Theater Kids Guide, we use the planets and the one dwarf planet in our solar system as our rating system. We use the system to rate everything off of the planet's vibes, aesthetics, or whatever relations we see fit for the topic we're rating. All right, so Chloe, what would you rate Lamez? I thought a lot about this, and I was having trouble actually coming up with what planet I wanted to rate it, but I think I've decided on Saturn because, in my opinion, Lamez has a lot of layers, kind of like Saturn's rings. So that was my reasoning for Saturn. Okay, Ethan, how about you? I'm going to go with Jupiter since the show's so big. I'm also going to go with Jupiter because it has that giant presence that you can't think about Le- uh, You can't think about musicals without thinking about Les Mis. So Les Mis is very music-focused, and it's a very, very music-heavy show, seeing that it is completely sung through. So do you guys have a favorite song or favorite musical moment from the show? I love the song One Day More. I just think it's a really impactful song in the show, and... I love that it's a lot of there's a lot of layering in the voices in the song and overall it's just one of the ones that sticks with me every time I listen to the show but I also love Castle on a Cloud which is the complete opposite it's little Cosette uh, who is the younger version of Cosette who is one of the main characters in the show and she's singing about this perfect place that she can go and that this place that she could go that there's no hardship and there's no worries for her as a little girl so I think that one's really cool. And that also used to be one of my audition songs that I would use. And so that one holds a special place in my heart as well. I agree with Chloe on both of those. My two 
favorite songs are Castle on Cloud and One Day More. Um, but I like Castle on a Cloud for the reason because we we had three people sing it during our sixth grade a concert, and I remember that concert vividly. So it, it's always the song I think of when thinking about Lame Is. Yeah, there are a lot of songs I think of when I think of Lame Is, but um, my personal favorite song is one I don't think is talked about enough. Uh, the song Drink With Me. It's just so like nice and calming. It's like, yeah. Like when you think about it in the context of the show, they're taking a break from fighting a battle and they're like singing about like, oh, we might die tomorrow, but we'll have a drink now and enjoy ourselves. Um, but like, it's just such a, like a calming song and it's just so pretty. And like the different like solos of the people um, like who, who have it in the show, it's just, it's just so good. That song almost gives me a sense of relief during the show, even though it's, as you said, kind of, in a way, my be- the best way I can think to describe it is morbidly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is discussing death, and it's very somber, but it also is very beautiful. And there's a lot of big numbers in Les Mis, so the fact that it's a little bit more of a tuned-down song, uh, at least in the scheme of Les Mis, which there's not a whole lot of actual really toned-down songs, I think yeah. it's one of those. And another thing I like about it is it shows like a switch from the character of like Grand Terre. Uh, Grantaire throughout the show is sort of like a little bit of a comic relief. He's like the drunk of the group. Uh, he like sort of makes fun of Marius because Marius is singing about, oh, I found someone beautiful and I'm in love. And he's like, oh, you're in love. Oh, and he starts making fun of him for it. But then during Drink With Me, it's like he's had like a somber, like he, it's like he had a wake up call. And um, it, he was like, talks about, it's like, do you fear to die? Um, will the world remember you when you fall could it be your death means nothing at all? And it's it's that's the switch from like comic relief, sort of joking, like drunk character to this like sobering reality of what is actually happening in their time and what they're really doing. And I thought that was always really, really interesting when listening to it. It adds a sense of realization to the character development of Grantier. Yeah. I will say. Um, going back to something Ethan said a little while ago about like hearing someone like three or four people sing Castle on the Cloud. Um, I remember when I, I did solo, I do choir. So when I did solo and ensemble um, when I was in eighth grade and even when I was in like my freshman and sophomore year, I cannot tell you how many times I heard the song on my own or I dreamed a dream sung in solo and ensemble. And it's good because usually the people who sing it do a pretty good job, but it's also that like, all right, I'm kind of tired hearing this song, you know? So I like those songs, but to me, they're just a bit overdone in like outside of theater things like choir solos and stuff like that. I just hear them so often that that's why I like songs like drink with me and master of the house is another one. I love it's um, it's the Thenardier song and it's one of the more upbeat and like sort of comical songs of the show which is nice to sort of like cut all the seriousness with a little bit of comedy of the Thenardiers. But I like the less talked about songs because I feel like they don't get enough hype. And when you really listen to them, they're really, really good. One of the reasons I think that the lesser done and lesser talked about songs are the most impactful in our minds in the show is that as Luke mentioned a little while ago, it is a sun through musical, which describes a musical, musical film, opera, or any other work of performance art in which the songs uh, entirely or almost entirely stand in place of any spoken dialogue. So the conversations and speeches are communicated musically. 
So a lot of the songs that are the big numbers are the ones in a normal musical or not necessarily a normal musical, but a more traditional musical would be sung anyway. But the ones that I think are the most impactful to, to us are the ones that are possibly monologues or conversations that are put to music and are unique to the style of Les Mis in that they are done musically. What did you guys think of the sung through aspect of the musical? Did you guys like that? Or would you prefer if Les Mis was done as a more traditional song, scene, song style? Most of the musicals I'm like more aware of and like I know a bit more are mostly sung through. So I, I feel fine with the aspect that it's uh, that Les Mis is a sung through musical. But I also feel like it's definitely a lot of music, but it's also if it's structured well and has like a good uh, pattern or rhythm, like uh, Les Mis with a bunch of like uh, motifs and all that stuff. If it's structured well, it it's fine. I personally like the sung through style because I think when when you look at the actors and actresses who play in Les Mis, it really really shows off their talent and their like acting ability when they're constantly like pushed to sing and show like the emotion through their voice and through their body that sung through it raises the difficulty of a show i think any sung through show is a really really difficult on the voice it's hard to act it's it's like hard to get right but lame is done right and any sung through done right in my opinion is always going to be amazing and i i really like it because i feel like dialogue would almost cut the dramatic and like the dramatic effect of what's going on in the scene. Like if like, if the confrontation wasn't a song, but it was like spoken word, it would still be good, but not nearly as good. I feel like it lame is one of those shows that needs to be sung through. I think the lack of dialogue is actually good. I definitely agree. It's often said in theater that when talking is no longer enough, you sing. And when singing is no longer enough, then you dance. And there's definitely a good amount of both singing and dancing. And I think that that sort of motto of theater applied to Les Mis is very interesting because Les Mis seems like a very high stakes show throughout the performance. Any performance you see of Les Mis, it's a very, it's a very high stakes, very intense show. So that makes me think of that motto for that reason. So Going back to what I said a minute ago, when I was talking about sung through is done well, there it's very controversial. A lot of people, there are a lot of shows that some people think that it should only be done in professional theaters with really, really well-trained actors and actresses. So I want to get your guys' opinion. Do you think it's okay to be done in high school in regional theaters, or do you think they should just leave it to the professionals and it's too hard? I believe that there is a balance to be struck between uh, doing a show uh, because you want to and doing a show that you can truly do well. Uh, and I prefer professional productions of Les Mis, but I've also seen and auditioned for a couple of productions of Les Mis that have turned out amazing and have been wonderful. I think it all comes down to the casting. Casting Les Mis is very tough because of the intense vocal requirements of all the characters uh, and the intense vocal ranges the characters require. Some of the, requ- the characters require multiple octave ranges, which is going to be less likely to find in a community theater versus a Broadway stage. It's not impossible by any means, but it's definitely harder. So I think if you can do it well, do it. That's my opinion on any show. If you can do it and pay justice to the casting, pay justice to the way it was originally written and meant to be performed, then do it. 
But if you can't, then there are so many shows out there that might be better for a high school, might be better for a community theater. So pick your battles and be able to justify uh, the show and that you choose and make sure that it's done right. I'm going to have to agree with Chloe on this one. I feel like professionally, like you do have those options for the casting and all that stuff. But I feel like when you're in the high school, you have a very limited like selection of people. So you need to make sure you're able to do that can go for any play, like make sure you have the correct people and the correct focal ranges and the right combination to produce that. So I feel like it's all dependent on uh, what group of people you're working with. Another interesting point to bring up is that Les Mis is considered a truly iconic show. And I would agree with that sentiment. I believe it's truly iconic. But with that comes really, really high critical expectations. And even the original performances of Les Mis in professional stages received mixed reviews from critics. They received rave views from audiences, but they received mixed views from critics because it is so iconic. And especially now, even more, if you are going to do Les Mis, you have to do it well, in my opinion, because there is such a high expectation from critics for it to be virtually perfect. So... That, that, for me, also influences my thoughts on it. But it is the, it is the longest-running Weston musical. I don't know if you guys knew that. It's the longest-running Weston musical. Uh, it's been running since 1985. And it's the second-longest-running long, musical in the world. So if it's done right, it can go on for a long time. So on the high school and regional thing, I believe that Les Mis can be done on a regional stage, uh, especially on a regional stage, uh, because I, myself... Um, when I lived in O'Fallon, I did Les Mis with a group called the Goshen Theater Company. Shout out to Goshen. Um, I did Les Mis with them, and we ended up winning lots of awards. Um, we had our, parts of our cast were nominated for like best leading actor and actress, and like supporting and all that. And we ended up winning like the best ensemble and best musical for that season, um, and it was great. And I honestly, I agree with the fact of the casting. You need to have good casting, but I do believe that it can be done at a non-professional level and done well. You just need to find the right balance of like who's going to work well with which part. I'd say for high school, it's a little bit difficult because there are some more mature themes um, in the show and like mature scenes in the show. So maybe done at a regional theater would be better. But high schools, I've seen versions of high schools that have done it and done it really, really well. So honestly, if you have the good cast for it and you would be allowed to do it, I would say it's great. But um, you just have to sort of be careful when looking into shows like that because you have to make sure you're able to do it, whether it's um, able to do it with the mature themes or with uh, like the proper casting, like people who can play the parts well. But honestly, I think it's kind of honestly kind of dumb to just say shows can't be done at a certain level just because you don't think people would be good enough because i feel like that's honestly like saying oh you can't do this show only professionals can do that show i honestly think that's kind of dumb because you can have people who can play the parts well and you can have people who can pull it off and you just got to give them the chance to do it like i think there's a perfect part for everyone and if you don't let someone have the chance to play a role that they really want to like try or they think they or their director thinks they'd be really good for they won't know. So I think giving people that experience to do like bigger, heavier musicals earlier on is really, really, really good. 
Okay, so from one semi-controversial point to a very, very controversial point, let's talk about the Les Mis movie. This movie has gotten mixed reviews. Some people love it. Some people hate it more, like hate it as much as you can hate something. So Ethan, I know you have are like more familiar with the Les Mis movie. So I'm going to let you start off with your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm a bit more familiar with the movie, but I also like when doing my research, realized like the way they filmed the movie kind of messed up some of the choreography they had with the songs. For example, some of the minor details of what they did on the stage lined up with the music, but since they were filming it with a uh, live singing, they weren't able to do that properly. In general, my opinion on the Lame Is movie is that it's not anywhere near as good as the stage production. Um, I think anybody who's seen the stage production or has any experience with it would agree with me on that. Uh, maybe not. That's just mine. That's my... Uh, experience with other people in the theater community that I've talked to about the Les Mis movie. But I think the one thing that the Les Mis movie does well is introduce people in the not, in, that are not in the quote-unquote theater community. Um, it introduces them to the show. It allows them to get a taste of what it is. Uh, I do believe that some of the casting was done very well. I actually think that Hugh Jackman did quite a good job as uh, Jean Valjean. Uh, I think he pulled the role off very well. So my biggest hope is that if people enjoy the Les Mis movie um, and have not experienced the stage production, if any of our listeners are those people, um, I would just ask that you guys go and look, look and experience the stage production as well. Go and find out the differences and research. And if you have ever had a chance, go and watch a stage production because it's a different experience. So I have one main qualm with the movie. I, I agree with Chloe that the casting of certain people were good. They had Eddie Redmayne playing Marius. They had Hugh Jackman, who has done lots of stuff on Broadway and played the part pretty well, um, who played Jean Valjean. And then Anne Hathaway played Fontaine. And other Broadway people come in and play different parts. But, and I know some people know what I'm going to say here, Russell Crowe, uh, who played Inspector Javert, he tried. But it was very obvious that there was a very big disparity in when you take someone like Russell Crowe, who has very little musical theater experience. Granted, he does have singing experience because he was in a band and he I think he might have released a few songs. I'm not sure. But then you put him with someone like Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway and like Eddie Redmayne, who all have lots of musical theater singing experience. It's going to be obvious that it's not the same. And it was, it was just like, I don't know. It was really, really noticeable that he wasn't as comfortable playing the role as other people were in their roles. And I think the lamest movie was a great idea to get more people to be interested in musical theater, but the casting of certain people like inspector Javert could have been better. And I think honestly, if I think they did the movie again with, more ex like with replacing certain people in the cast and filming it slightly differently i think the movie would be fantastic i think that what luke just mentioned relates to something that we talked about in our uh the prom episode of theater kids guide so if you've not got a chance to listen to that please go listen to that so you have a better idea of what i'm talking about but one of the things we talked about during that discussion was 
the um, forecasting of certain people in that movie, given the large amount of talent that there is available in the film industry. And I feel that when the movie is cast in a way that you feel like there's someone out there that might have better experience or better a better understanding of the role in in that aspect uh, in the aspects that are needed for that role i think it makes the movie harder to watch if there's a there's an actor that's clearly just not quite there with the aspect of talent needed for that role and that's not saying that they always do, that they're doing a complete a completely awful job as luke was saying it was just it was more of the vocal talent of that actor that might have needed some work and that comes down to the casting process. I think a lot of what we talked about with Lame is is casting is so important because it is such a such a hard musical to do because it's got such intense vocal requirements. Well, I feel like even though there's some controversy with the uh, casting, I feel like it's important to note that everyone was pretty dedicated to the film overall, though. For example, Anne Hathaway's mom played Fantine for a few uh, shows for Les Mis. So I feel like that might have gave her a little bit more confidence to actually cut her own hair during the, be that uh, committed to that role. Also, before recording Hugh Jackman, dehydrated himself for 36 hours to get into shape for the movie. I personally love when actors just fully commit to the roles that they're in and, for example, cut their own hair on screen. I think that's one of the most impactful things you can do in a movie in a tv show um in any t- in any type of theatrical or film um media i think that that's so so cool it's just one of my personal favorites and i'm sure there's mixed reviews on that too because everything has mixed reviews um no matter what you're talking about but i personally really think that those things that you mentioned ethan are really cool because they add something that you can't achieve unless that actor just takes that extra step I think it shows real and true love and dedication of your craft to be willing to like, you know what? This could go wrong. Like in the scene where Anne Hathaway got her haircut, something could have gone wrong and she would, they would have had to redo it with a wig, but she still wanted to take that chance. And I think that shows true love and dedication to the craft that few people really show. And I think that is amazing. That's one of the things I love the most about the movie is you could tell even the cast members who did not shine as much vocally, you could tell that they were really into it and they were trying to do the story justice. And that's one of the things I liked most about the movie is they were really trying to do the show justice because it's such a big show and to put it into a movie and to do it well is really hard, but they were trying to do it justice as best as they could. We've sort of criticized the vocal talents of certain people in the movie during this discussion, but It is worth pointing out that vocal performances on Broadway aren't always perfect. Uh, I think we judge film performances harder because they have the opportunity to go back and record again. But Broadway performances aren't always perfect. And I think that attributes to what Ethan, or I don't remember it was Ethan or Luke, one of you mentioned uh, commitment to the role. Uh, And I think that sometimes you get so committed to your role that your vocal performances might slip. Your voice might crack because you're just so emotional you're so into that role. And I think that almost adds instead of takes away from vocal performance. I think it's worth noting that in addition to audience success, the the stage, ver- the stage uh, version of Les Mis has had a lot of success at um, award shows. And 
specifically the Tony Awards in 1987, they were nominated for 12 Tony Awards, which is, if you don't know, quite a lot. And they won eight awards, including Best Musical and Best Original Score. And I think that's pretty spectacular. And that just emphasizes how good of a show it is and how um, how over, how good of a show overall it is. Not just one little aspect, not just one thing about it. It's so good overall that it was nominated for many awards and it everybody loves it for different reasons because there's so many reasons to love it. I feel like there is a love for the show. I, if I, like, if the question was like, if I were to recommend it, I would, I would a hundred percent recommend it as someone who has done it and who has seen it multiple times. I can tell you that being able to either just see it or like do it is just an unreal feeling. When I did it, I felt like I was a professional. It's something about it. Like I, I was not playing like a lead role. I played one of the constables uh, in Jean Prevert, who is one of the students, and Major Domo, who has one of the only spoken lines in the show. Um, and even though I didn't have a main role, and even though I was just doing it at a regional theater, it to do something as big as Lame is, it made me feel like I was a professional. Like, and it was just such like a good feeling. And I would honestly, if I were given the chance, I would do the show again in a heartbeat. I wouldn't care if I was in the ensemble. I wouldn't care if I didn't have any sort of like presence at all on the stage. I would want to do it again. It's just, it was such like, it was such a fun experience and it makes, honestly, it makes you want to push forward and do more. Like I want to do more shows like Lame is in the future, just to have that like experience of doing like a classic and to have like the feeling of satisfaction of like walking up at the end of the show is like, wow, that's it. Like one of the biggest theater shows like ever. And I just did it. It's just an unreal feeling that you can't get from almost anything else. There's a feeling that comes from doing theater. And then there's a feeling that comes from doing iconic theater. And it's just a step up. And one of the reasons I think that Les Mis honestly, maybe even goes above iconic theater in a way is that, it's based off a novel that was written by Victor Hugo, who was alive and experienced the events covered in Les Mis. So there's that firsthand experience that the show is based off of. It's based off of this book that was written based off firsthand experiences, which makes it, yes, there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of middlemen between uh, the script and that book and that guy's experiences. But there's still that connection and that feeling of we are portraying something important. We are portraying something that's iconic in the theater community, but also historically has a huge presence. Um, and I'm interested, do either of you guys actually know what event the that Les Mis is based off of? Because a lot of people actually don't. I don't remember the year, but I know it's not the actual French Revolution. A lot of people think it is, um, but it is like one of the Paris street rebellions, I believe it was called. I don't remember the year it took place. But it was like, it was the Paris Street Rebellion. I remember that much. Yeah. So it's not the French Revolution. Um, sorry to pop your bubble if you thought it was the French Revolution. It's actually not. Uh, it takes place during the June Rebellion of 1832, which is also known as the Paris Uprising of 1832, which was a um, an event. You can research it further um, if you're interested in learning more about it. But it was an event during uh, that time period that was that involved many of the street rebels, as Luke mentioned. So 
that's what Les Mis is based off of. So historically, it definitely has significance. Um, and I find that very cool too. I enjoy shows that are based off of historical events. I think it gives you something very unique to pull from uh, that you don't get with a show that's just completely uh, fictitious. Okay, so to wrap this up, what are your guys' final thoughts, like big general thoughts on the musical? Would you recommend it to a friend? Is it as good as people say it is? I would definitely recommend the play to someone just because it's so big and so popular with the theater community, uh, whether that is the play or the movie. Okay, Chloe, what about you? I would 100% recommend it. Obviously, there's going to be... Obviously, everybody's going to have different um, opinions and levels of love for different shows. But I really, really love it. I think it's something special. I think it's something iconic, something special that you're not going to get with every show. So if you have the chance to, if you have the chance to go out and audition for it, if you have the chance to listen to the soundtrack, if you have the chance to, heck, read the synopsis, do it. Just do it because it's not a waste of your time. I promise you, you will not regret it. And it is something that you will appreciate yourself for doing. So Take my word for it. Go listen to it. Go be in it. Um, do whatever you can to immerse yourself in Les Mis. And I hope that sparks something in everybody who listens to it because I think it sparked a love of theater for me. For me, Les Mis will always hold a special place in my heart. It was my third show ever. It was my first regional production. Um, and it was, I think it was the first musical I ever saw like in a professional setting. It was either first or second, but it's just so, it's so, it's such a classic. It's so good. It has something for everyone. Um, it's a great singing musical. Uh, if you're, if you like to sing, if you want to like look for like a song, like, no, I'm just bored. I'm going to go sing something. Listen to the Lamez soundtrack. They have almost, they have everything for almost any voice overall. I think it lives up to the hype and honestly, even more sometimes. And yeah, I think it's one of the greatest musical shows ever written and ever performed. That was a really great discussion, but now we're going to move on to our next segment, which is RFT, also known as Rapid Fire Trivia. This week, our trivia players are Abby, Nataya, and Aaron. I'll be going through and asking each of them five trivia questions. They will get five seconds to answer, and for every question they answer right, they gain a point. After all of today's players have gone, I will ask two final questions in the category of theater, which will be worth two points each. Ethan will then count up the points and let us know who the best trivia player in the galaxy is. Please feel free to play along and let us know how you did on Instagram or Twitter. Now let's get started. Abby, you ready to go? Ready as I'll ever be. Okay, question one. Which two U.S. states do not observe daylight savings time? Okay, I think I know this. I feel like, for some reason, it's Florida and Colorado, but it's probably not. It is not. It is Arizona and Hawaii. Next question. What is the rarest color of M&M? I thought they were all equal. Um, I would say, oh, maybe white. I think they make white ones. The answer is brown. And I think the white ones are like a special kind. So I don't think they count towards this. Oh, okay. <laughs> what is the smallest ocean in the world? Um, the, you know, that small ocean. Um, 
<laughs> you know the one. You know the one. Um, I'll say the Arctic Ocean. I think that's a thing. Correct. It is the Arctic Ocean. Yes. Next question. In which European city would you find the Orly Airport? Um, the Orly Airport? Yes, O-R-L-Y. Um, France? It's a city, not a country. Got it. Paris? Correct! It is Paris. <laughs> How many ribs are in the human body? Um... Maybe like 26. Very close. The answer is 24. I'm impressed, Abby. You have outperformed yourself in every other time you've played trivia. Now we're going to move on to Natalia. Natalia, are you ready? Yep. Okay. Your first question is, what is the softest mineral in the world? Sand. The answer is talc. Your next question is, what is the tallest dog breed in the world? Uh, Great Dane. Correct. Okay, your next question is, what is the loudest animal on Earth? Um, how about a whale? What type of whale? Blue whale. It is not a blue whale. It is a sperm whale, but I will give half off for getting whale. I'll give you half a point for that, for getting whale. Next question. Fissures, vents, and plugs are all associated with which geological feature? Um, a mountain. The answer is a volcano. And your last question is, tennis star Serena Williams won which major tournament while pregnant with her first child? I don't know. I don't know any. The answer was the Australian Open. And now we're moving on to Aaron. Aaron, are you ready? Sure. All right. Your first question is, which African country is formerly known as Abyssinia? Um, um, Abyssinia. A-B-Y-S-S-I-N-I-A. I'm going to go with Ethiopia. Correct. It is Ethiopia. Question number two. The only known monotremes in the animal kingdom are the echidna and which other creature? Can you repeat the question? The only known monotremes in the animal kingdom are the echidna and which other creature? The pangolin? The answer was the platypus. Next question. Lateral epicondylitis is a condition commonly known by what name? Lateral epicondylitis. Itis means inflammation. Lateral, it means it's a long something. Generally, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to remember the exact meaning. I'm trying to remember the exact meaning. Lateral epicondylitis. Is that a... Throat infection or inflammation in the throat? It is not. It is actually known as tennis elbow. Oh, I was thinking esophageal. <laughs> I, I will give you. I will give you credit. You did get the inflammation part. Which country is known as the land of the white elephant? I'm pretty sure it's South Southeastern Asia would be my guess. Um, My brain is saying Bengal. The answer is Thailand. Close. Southeastern, of course. Your last question is, I know why the caged bird sings in an autobiography about the early years of what inspirational African-American writer and poet? Inspirational writer and poet? Yes. 
I cannot remember their name. The answer is Maya Angelou. Yeah. I can tell by the look on your face that hearing that you knew it. Yep. I was so annoyed. The first theater trivia question is, a theatrical superstition says it is unlucky to wish someone good luck before they go on stage. So, which phrase is used instead? Aaron. Break a leg. Correct. Who can tell you why that is? <laughs> I can tell you why. We can I, I, will give you, I will give you a half point. Okay. <laughs> Abby, Abby will get one point if she can explain to me why the term break a leg is used. The reason that the term break a leg is used is because the curtains on the side of the um, stage are called legs. And when you move them aside to go on stage, that's called breaking them. So it's like break a leg, like go on stage and perform. That's a point to Abby. And your last bonus trivia question is, which is the oldest West End theater? Aaron, sorry. The Apollo? The answer is the Theater Royale on Drury Lane. Okay. Ethan, would you mind telling us our scores? In second place, we got Natalia with one and a half points. And tied for first, we got Abby and Aaron with three points. And due to some technical difficulties, uh, Abby has been given the win because Aaron has disconnected from the meeting. So... I would like to say we did it, guys. I really, I really think that we are, we're all in this together. And everyone that helped me through this journey, I'd really like to say thank you to them. Um, and I knew that it was the Arctic Ocean, and I am proud of that. I would also like to give Aaron some credit where it's due. Since Aaron is so good at trivia, I purposely made his questions a lot harder, and he still managed to get them right. I, it, is, it is astounding. He, it really is something. The funny thing is that when we're all having ours, you can just tell that Aaron knows the answers to all of our questions. Yeah, uh, on the video, you can see Aaron just sort of going, like raising his hand because he wants to answer because he knew almost all of them. And for our last segment, we'll be doing ranking. Today, our rank master is Parker. To remind everyone, this game is done blind, so Parker has no idea about the topic or the things he is rating. So, Parker, you ready to get started? I'm ready. Great. And with that, today's topic is drum roll, please. The best streaming services. And the list is Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime Video, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Apple TV, and Paramount Plus. I'll give Parker a few minutes to make his ranking and we'll come back. All right, I'm ready with my list. So, starting at number seven, we're going to come in with Hulu. And I'm going to get so much hate for this, and I know that. But look, I just, they have a great selection of movies and shows. But I personally just think the streaming service itself is just not really easy to use. Um, I don't have too much experience, but from the small amount I have, they give you constant ads unless you pay a really, really high price for like premium subscription, which it's a subscription. Let me watch the things I want to watch that I'm paying to watch. It's just, I, I just can't, I can't with Hulu. At number six, we have Apple TV for one reason and one reason only. They took the peanuts away from us. Well, I mean, they gave it back, but still they last, you know, last October-ish during Halloween, 
the great pumpkin charlie brown didn't go live on tv and that is like one of my family's traditions is a lot of families traditions for the holiday specials with the peanuts and i think it's just so awful they they took that away from people and you know they got bullied into giving it back for christmas and it said at the beginning of the special made possible by apple tv no it wasn't you took it away it was made possible for 50 years without you even being here like it was ridiculous coming in at number five we have paramount plus now, no hate to Paramount Plus, but I just don't really know what it has to offer. I've never used it before. I'm pretty sure it's fairly recent. I honestly don't know. So, you know, just no opinion. Sitting at number five. Number four, we have Amazon Prime Video. Now, this is the OG for my family. I don't know about anyone else. Um, and obviously, Amazon Prime Video isn't just about the Prime Video. It's about, you know, two-day shipping, Amazon Music, all that good stuff. But... The Prime Video stuff itself just wasn't very easy to use. It didn't have that great selection of shows and movies. But the one thing it did have when I was younger was Avatar The Last Airbender, Victorious, and iCarly, which is what I grew up on. Uh, I don't know if anyone else did. Probably a lot of people did. But it just makes me so happy. They took it off like two years ago, which, you know, you're now sitting at number four. Anyway, it's just not the best all-around streaming service. Coming in at number three, we have HBO Max. Now, I recently just started using HBO Max. And, you know, it's not the best, but it has a really good selection of movies and TV shows. It has the whole DC universe, which I'm not super into, but, you know, I like it every once in a while. But the reason I love this streaming service so much is because they have so many Studio Ghibli movies. I am a sucker for Studio Ghibli. I love the art. I love the music. I love the everything about it. And, you know, that was my first real exposure since my family didn't really know what it was or, you know, they still don't really know what it is. But, you know, I've always loved it and I haven't really been able to watch many of the movies. So I'm really happy I've been able to watch Ponyo, The Cat Returns, all of those good movies. Coming in at number two, we have Netflix. Netflix is the OG streaming service, you know, for most people, not for my family. Uh, <laughs> but we got it earlier in quarantine. And, you know, we've been using it very consistently. My parents love watching The Crown. I love watching like 1,500 shows on it. It's, there's so many TV shows. There's so many movies. I will take off points for getting rid of Newsies. But, you know, that's why you're at number two. But, you know, overall, it's a great streaming service, easy to use, great Netflix original shows. And overall, I just think it really earned its spot at probably number one. But personally, I would put it at number two. All right, coming at number one, the best streaming service in my mind is Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus is fairly new. Uh, I mean, not really anymore, but it's fairly new. And it's just all around a good service. It has, you can download pretty much everything on the, app, uh, on the app and all the TV shows on the movies, which you can't for everything on Netflix, which is kind of why it's at number one for me. But the selection of movies and TV shows and settings makes it great for kids. You know, they have all the Disney Junior shows, all the Disney movies that you would watch with your parents when you were younger. And overall, it's great for kids and adults. Uh, it has Marvel, which I love, except I'm taking points off again because you don't have the two Tom Holland movies. I'm so mad at this. I'm emailing them later. But it also has The Simpsons. It has a bunch of great overall shows. And I learned recently that there's something called the Star Library, 
that places outside of the U.S. get. They get more shows than we do because we have Hulu and it's like combined package. But if you have Disney Plus in other countries, you can change your settings and it gets you more shows, which I think is just great. And there you go. That is my list. That's a great list, Park. Now to reiterate for our audience, number seven was Hulu. Number six was Apple TV. Number five was Paramount Plus. Number four was Amazon Prime Video. Three was HBO Max. Two was Netflix. And number one, the best streaming service in the galaxy is Disney+. Plus. Sadly, that is all the time we have for today. I want to thank each and every one of our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in, and make sure you come back next week for more of a Theater Kids Guide to the Galaxy. Please follow us on Instagram at Theater Kids Guide to the Galaxy and Twitter at Theater Kids GTG for more content. And feel free to check out all the other awesome podcasts on the R Amplified Network. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye.